Well, as you know, we've been walking through the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through the uh, the genealogy of Christ. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, you'll read there of the, the generational line that starts all the way back and goes all the way down from Abraham all the way to, to the birth of Jesus. And in the middle of that genealogy that covers 14 generations and then 14 generations and then 14 generations, you'll find in the middle of that line that there are five women who were mentioned. A couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity of talking about Tamar, that uh, Charles had the opportunity of sharing with us from Scripture about her story. Last week, Scott uh, talked about Rahab. And today, we're going to continue in that path, and today, we're going to be talking about Ruth. And interestingly, when you look at the passage of Scripture in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that Ruth is, is literally like just below Rahab in that line. In fact, verses 5 and 6 of Matthew chapter 1, it says that Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz by Rahab. Uh, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. So here we see that very closely related from Rahab, then we now find that Boaz is a key player in the story that we're going to be talking about today. And obviously, when you look at this line, when you look at this genealogy that's found in Matthew chapter 1, the glaring statement, the glaring thing, the question here is like, why did the writer of Matthew, why did Matthew mention these five women? Now, obviously, one is a no-brainer. He mentioned Mary because, well, it's Mary, the mother of Christ. But why did he mention the other four? And I think very clearly, which is underlined by the fact that we are walking through this series, it's, it's understandable why they're mentioned, because clearly, because we see that in the midst of pain, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of sin, that God redeemed those who were broken, God redeemed those who were hurting, God redeemed those walking through loss, and he tells the story that Messiah came as a result of this line. And so today, this story clearly falls right in line with that, that narrative. And so we're going to go to this passage today. We're going to walk through, obviously, we're not going to walk through every verse, but we're going to walk through some, some key components, some key thoughts, if you will, as we walk through this passage to get a picture of, of how we find beauty in the midst of brokenness and the, and the pain that she experienced. And so we're going to start with Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 1, and we'll read a few verses here, and then we'll begin our conversation as we walk through. And so it says in Ruth 1, 1, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land and a man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Melon and Chilon and they were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they entered the fields of Moab and they settled there and Naomi's husband Elimelech died and she was left with her two sons. And her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. Just make sure we get that right. And the second was named Ruth. And after they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Milan and uh, Kilion also died. And the, women, the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Now, obviously, these first five verses kind of set the stage for the story that we're going to be walking through. Obviously, we see the story of uh, of this, this man and his wife who lived in Bethlehem. And because of the famine, they decided to leave there. They traveled over to Moab. Moab was uh, east of the Dead Sea, which basically is over uh, in modern-day Jordan, uh, a place that did not connect with Israel. There was uh, certainly no uh, you know, commingling between the two. That was not a normal path that someone from Bethlehem uh, in the, the land of Judah, that they would normally not travel over to Moab. But they were desperate. 
And it, it, it plays out the idea of desperation to why they left to go there because there was a famine. But it also gives us a picture of desperation here in Naomi's story when we find the fact that her husband died and her two sons died and it left her in a very difficult situation during those days. It was a very difficult time because a woman who was left with no husband and with no sons to carry on the name, uh, this was a person that at that time would be considered destitute. Like there is no hope. And we're going to see that in this story. We're going to see that in her own words, that there was desperation in her life and in her journey. And so when you talk about brokenness, clearly we find the story of brokenness here uh, in the life of Naomi at this moment. And so in this desperation, we continue to see that, that her plan, her idea, her, her, her next steps were to leave there, to leave Moab and to go back to Bethlehem, to go back home to where the people she knew, to her family and to her, you know, to her friends, to go back to what she was aware of because now she's a, a Jewish woman left in the middle of Moab with two Moab uh, daughters-in-law. It's like, what do you do? And so we read this passage in verse 8, and Naomi speaking to Ruth and Orpah, she said these words, each of you go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband, and she kissed them, and they, all three, wept loudly. Now, you'll see here there are two words I want you to take note of in the Bible. In verse uh, in verse 8, we see the word kindness there. In word nine, uh, verse 9, we see the word rest. Now, kindness, and Scott talked about this word last week as the, uh, the Hebrew word has said, which literally means like a covering or, or loyalty, a connection, shelter, uh, something that provides an overwhelming protection. And so uh, Naomi's statement in her desperation to her daughters-in-law uh, was to say, listen, uh, may God give you that covering that you need. May God give you the protection and the, the infer, inference here we can take, the inclination we see in Ruth and Naomi's heart is that this is something I'm not going to have, but I pray that God gives it to you. And we're going to read that in just a few moments. Naomi thought her days of covering were over. Naomi thought that her days of protection, the, the hesed, that it was over and it was done. But here for Ruth and Orpah, no, 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 she wanted this protection, this covering for them. And so she says, go back and, and may God show you that kindness. And then may God grant you that rest, that manure, that, that place of quiet is what that word really means. And so in the middle of desperation, she'd already lost her husband. She'd already lost her two sons. And now she's about to lose thinking she's about to lose the only other family she had, her two daughters-in-law. And so you can see the desperate measures, the desperate heart she wanted these things of rest and kindness. She wanted this covering. She wanted that to be something that her daughters-in-law had. And so she was willing to, to let them go because she had already kind of allowed herself to believe that the rest of her days was going to be something of pain, something of loss, of brokenness. And so there, setting up that story, that's a familiar story, I know, to everyone in the room. I hope to everyone in the room. Let's kind of walk through and see how God brings beauty in the midst of this brokenness, what God does. Now, the first thing we learn from this passage, from this story of Ruth, is that loss is never the end of the story. That loss is not the end of the story. I know there are people in this room who've experienced loss. I know there are people in this room who might be navigating the, the, the heartache and the heartbreak of loss in this moment. Maybe it's a loved one who's passed away. Maybe it's a relationship that has ended. Maybe it's a marriage that has fallen apart. 
Maybe it's a, a child who has walked away from you and walked away from God and your heart is, is, is just burdened over that situation. But here's what I think we can learn from this passage according to what God gives us here is that loss is never the end of the story. So let's go back to the passage in Ruth chapter 1 and let's read verses 19 through 21. And here it says, and now you know the story. So obviously she tells her daughters-in-law to leave. They didn't want to. And finally Orpah is convinced that she, she does what Ruth, uh, Naomi tells her to do. But Ruth says, no, I'm not going anywhere. I, I'm hanging with you. I, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to stay with you. This is where we get that famous phrase. It's been used in a lot of weddings through the years. That, that where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. In other words, I'm not leaving your side, Ruth said. And so understanding that, in verse 19, we continue where, where Ruth and Naomi go. It says, and the two of them then traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival. And the local women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, verse 20 gives us the first insta inclination here of exactly what was going through Naomi's mind. Her name was called Naomi, and the, her, the word literally Naomi literally means pleasant. So she had walked through her entire life to this point where she just kind of conveyed pleasantness. Names back then were different than they are today. Names back then actually had a, a story behind them. That's why so often in the Old Testament, certainly, you see where names are changed because it actually tells the story of the person. It's a picture of their heart. It's a picture of what uh, conditions, situations they've walked through. And so it says, can this be Naomi? And then Naomi says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi. In other words, she said, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me happy. Don't call me a person of joy ever again. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. And while Naomi literally means pleasant and kind, Mara means bitterness. And so she goes on to say, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I want to pause there just for a moment. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Now let me ask you a question before we continue. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, certainly. But my guess is there's probably in this, in this room today people who have, can say those very words. Or maybe have even said those words out loud to yourself or or maybe in your heart, maybe you're saying them right now, that that sounds like me. Man, life started with all the hope and all the joy and all the, the excitement of where I was going. Man, things looked really, really good. And while I started out there, while I started out thinking, man, everything's going to be great in my life in the days to come. Now, I'm empty. My heart is broken. I don't have the things in, in forward, uh, looking forward, things to look forward to. I don't have that anymore. That hope is gone. That excitement, that, that enthusiasm, that joy that, that I was clinging to one day, it's gone. Again, not asking for a show of hands, but anybody here feel like that sometimes? Like I, I left full, but now, now I'm empty. And so Naomi is telling all of her friends and all of her family, like I'm standing here before you today, a shell of who I once was. I'm emptied out of all the joy and all the pleasantness. So just call me bitter. How would you like to be called like for the rest of your life? Bitter. Walking, oh, hey, bitter's here. Great. Hey, bitter. I mean, that'd be like not a great thing to be called. Not an exciting uh, moniker to, to have. But yet that is exactly what she says here. She says, why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Now, there's something that's very important for us to note here. In this statement... Naomi is not blaming God for what she's walking through. 
In fact, what she's actually saying here, Naomi is actually kind of leaning into the fact and the truth of the matter. Is like, and everything is in God's hand. She's recognizing, she's, she's appreciating the fact that even though her life is falling apart, and even though she feels broken and empty and everything has left her, she's sitting there saying, but, but all of it is in the hands of God. This is echoed also in the book of Job. When you look at the story of Job and all the brokenness that he went through and all the pain that he experienced, the sorrow that he navigated uh, throughout that entire story, he always recognizes and appreciates the fact that even if it's tough, it's still in God's hand. And that's exactly what Naomi's saying here. She's not blaming God for what she's walking through. But what we see here clearly is while she's understanding that, that she was once full but now empty in verse six of, of Ruth chapter one, she still understands who God is and what God can do. Look what it says in verse six. She and her daughters-in-laws, they set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. In other words, even in the brokenness of the moment, she still recognized that God was faithful. She still recognized that God was providing. She still recognized, so she's not blaming God. She's simply saying, like, hey, like, I know my life is falling apart. Like, I get it. Life stinks. I understand how awful this is. I am bitter, not because bitter towards God, but I'm just, I'm, I'm in bitterness. Like, like, life is not sweet. But I'm going to go back to the land of Bethlehem, the land of Judah, because I know that God still provides. Quick, like, interjecting here of a lesson that we can learn from this passage. Even in the midst of your brokenness, don't ever forget that God is always providing. Don't ever forget that no matter how tough things might be, the God of the universe is still on your side and the God of the universe is still acting on your behalf. And that's what Naomi recognized here. But what she did not recognize here, and this is important, that while she went back to the land of Judah for the purposes that there was, uh, that God was providing, look what it says in uh, verse 22. In the last part of that verse, it says this. And they, meaning she and Ruth, they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now that's a statement that honestly, when you read the book of Ruth, you're going to skip right by. You're not going to pay attention to that. Like th those are not words that are meaningful. Those are not words you're going to go down to, you know, to uh, uh, what's uh, by Hobby Lobby, the Mardell's. You're not going to go to Mardell's and buy a hanging for the wall that says they arrived at the barley harvest. That, like that's not there. Because that's not a statement that like we really put a lot of weight in, but oh, put a lot of weight in it. You should absolutely understand what it means. Here's what it tells us. Brokenness, loss of a husband, loss of two sons. There's famine. There's no food. She's bitter. So she goes back to a place where she heard there might be some good stuff over there. And God happened to do for her what maybe she didn't pay attention to here. And I don't think she did because of what she was thinking and what she was saying. But traveling from Jordan all the way back to Bethlehem. Now listen, for us today, that would not be that difficult of a trip. Well, it's not true. There's rockets going back and forth. But in most situations, it would not be that difficult for us to drive or even fly from Jordan over to Bethlehem. That'd be an easy, quick trip, a very short trip. But she walked. And she had to walk that land. If you've ever been to Israel and you've been down in the land of the Dead Sea, that Bible says it literally was east of the Dead Sea. So like, like right across the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is not a great place to hang out. 
It's like 1,400 feet or so below sea level. It's always hot there. I mean, it is like the desert, 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 lowest place on earth. And she walked all the way up to about 2,400 feet above sea level. So not only is she walking all of those miles, but she has to climb all of those miles, almost 4,000 feet in elevation change that she traveled. And she just happened to arrive at the time of the harvest. You see why this phrase that is kind of a throwaway phrase, do you think? Why it's so meaningful? That God allowed her to arrive at the time when the food was being harvested. In other words, the word harvest, a time of plenty. You see, in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of loss, in the middle of pain, in the middle of calling herself the epitome of bitterness, and God just happened to bring her into the land at the very moment when all of the food is being harvested, when God is providing in a major way. So understand that your loss, whatever you're walking through today, whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever medical situation you're navigating, whatever brokenness you're experiencing and feeling, listen, understand this, your loss, no matter what it is, and I know you're sitting back, you don't understand my loss. I don't understand your loss. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if I understand your loss because God understands your loss. And your loss is never, never, never the end of the story. The story of loss in Naomi's life just happens to be chapter one. And then we continue walking through. While loss is never the end of the story, what we then see is the righteous acts of today always follow us tomorrow. In other words, in the midst of our loss, how we respond will make all the difference. Look in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. And it says, this is again, now after they got back to the land and, and Ruth asked permission of Naomi to go out and to glean, uh, you know, among the, the, the harvest there, to go out into the fields and to follow along the people who were, who were working for the people who owned the field. You know the story, like she's going to go get whatever's left over, right? Like, so this is the modern day dumpster dive is what this is. And so she said, I'm going to let me just go get like what's left for us. And so Naomi allowed her to do that. And so she goes and she's gathering there and she happens to land in the field of this man. And this man's name is Boaz. We know the story. And she's there and she's getting whatever she can. And then Boaz approaches her in verse 10. It says now, and she fell face down before Boaz and she bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Now, let's stop right there. So what Ruth in, in, intends here in the statement that she gives to us is three things. The first one is this. She recognizes she's not one of them. Like one of these things is not like the other. She's a foreigner. She's from Moab. Okay, she's someone who's an outcast, someone who does not deserve to be in that place, in, in the place of Bethlehem in Israel. Like, like she had no place there. So she recognizes that she's an outcast. Number two, she recognizes like, like that she has been allowed favor even though she didn't deserve it. So she is like, someone's showing her grace and mercy. And then finally, she's recognizing like, I can't believe this man is giving me this incredible gift of continuing to provide for me. It doesn't make sense, why? Because I'm broken. Ruth is broken at this point. Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me although I'm a foreigner? And then Boaz answered her and said, everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. 
how you left your father and your mother and your native land and how you came to a people who didn't previously know. May you didn't know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full uh, reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now understand, remember we read a few moments ago, going back to chapter one, when Naomi said to Ruth, I, I pray that God grants you kindness, has said, like the, the covering, and I pray that you will find rest, manua, like that God would give you that, that special rest, that God would give you this favor in the midst of my brokenness. I pray that will not be your story. And now here Boaz is echoing what Naomi said in chapter one, and he's saying it to Ruth, may, may God reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now here's what we need to understand in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain. While we recognize that loss is not the end of the story, what we must also recognize is that we don't have the privilege of sitting around and waiting for things to get better. We need to continue marching forward. Ruth had every reason in the book to hang out with Naomi, to sit back at the, you know, wherever they might have been living, in the midst of bitterness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, and just sit back and say, man, life stinks. You know, woe is me. I can't believe how bad this is. But no, that's not what she did. She went out and she began making a difference. She already was honoring Naomi. She was serving Naomi. And now she's providing for Naomi. And Boaz recognizes this. And notice what he said. I have heard about what you've done. Now, she didn't know anybody had even recognized her. Remember, she's the dumpster diver. Like she's the person walking through the streets and the alleyways trying to find food and trying to find help for her and her, her family, her and Naomi. But yet people were talking about how God was using her and what she was doing, uh, being an extension of God's grace to Naomi. People were talking about it. And while we know here that Boaz probably when he saw her, he had ulterior motives. I mean, we don't know it. It doesn't say here, but I'm guessing Ruth was not a bad, you know, she was not bad to look at. Boaz was probably quite interested in this woman because he had, we're going to get to this in a minute. He had every right to ignore her and he had every right to walk away from her, but he didn't. But yet while he might've had an ulterior motive thinking this is an attractive young lady that I'd like to meet. What we also know is this, is that God's faithful no matter what. God provided in the famine God brought them into the land at the exact moment of harvest. God brought her to the right field. God put her in the right place at the right time. And she found favor with the people that were in that situation. And so we know that God is always working. And so in the midst of your pain and your loss, which we all experience, don't sit back and complain. Don't sit back and gripe. Don't sit back and think, well, I'm just sick and tired of this. I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. Keep moving forward. Because God will always take your righteous acts in the, midst, in the midst of pain and he will use them not for someone else's good, even though he will. He will use them for your good. He will use them to bless you. And that's exactly what happened here in the story of Ruth. J. Vernon McGee says it this way, this little book of Ruth reveals something that is quite interesting that racial barriers were broken down and God is concerned and loves even those who have upon them a stigma and a judgment. So often through life, we walk through life thinking we're less than. So often we walk through life feeling we don't deserve 
So often we walk through life feeling as if we are, are not as good as someone else or, or, or we are not as blessed as someone else and we think God has forgotten about us and we think people don't care. What we learn from this passage is this, is it doesn't matter who you are, you can be from the land of Moab, which was a, a foreign land. It could be from a place that, that people did not want to be around you. And yet, in the midst of that, God actually has his eye on you and he's providing and taking care of you. He did it for Ruth and just know this, he does it for us. That God promises that he will never walk away, no matter what you're walking through. And so here we see this story of what, how God used the righteous acts of Ruth to continue to move her forward and to, to move her down the road of the brokenness towards the beauty. And why do we see that understanding here is that God responds to our need in the most unlikely ways. Look what it says in verse 20 of Ruth chapter 2. After Ruth came back and told Naomi this story, after Naomi inquired, like, well, what field was it? And Ruth told him, told her what field it was and, and who the man is and, and what his name was. And, and so she says this, he is one of our family redeemers. In other words, I can just see it in that statement, even though, you know, you don't see exclamation points there. You don't see it in all caps there, but you can imagine what Naomi was thinking. Like, I can't believe of all the fields you could have ended up in of all the places you could have walked and, and gone to, to provide food, of all the dumpsters you could have been going through, you ended up in the dumpster that was owned by Boaz, who happens to be a close family member, and he is one of our redeemers. Now, of course, that brings in the story of this, this statement, this idea of the word redeemer. That word redeemer, there's the Hebrew word, which literally means to reclaim as one's own. So what Naomi is saying is like, hey, you landed in the field of a guy who has the, the opportunity and the right, according to Mosaic law, that he can make us his own. And obviously he was a wealthy man, a man who had fields and people working for him. And Naomi's like, I can't believe this after all that we've gone through. And now you've ended up back in this very field. Now we know the story. Naomi came up with a plan. As a lot of great fathers and mothers-in-law have done through history, man, they came up with a great plan. Man, I'm going to fix you up with Boaz. Like, you know, that, that, that arranged marriage thing. She started going to work. The passage even says, like, basically Naomi told Ruth, now, hey, go fix yourself up. Like, you need to look better. You know, do your hair a little bit different. Get the curling iron out, right? I mean, you know, make yourself look a little better. And then go back to him. Like, like she had a plan. She had, a, she had a, a vision for what was going to happen here. But what we learn from this passage is simply this, is that God does indeed work in mysterious ways. Now, we've all heard that phrase before, right? Isn't it interesting that the statement God works in mysterious ways is not found anywhere in Scripture? We all think it does. We all think it's there somewhere. We all think, oh, yeah, that's, that's biblical. God works in mysterious ways. It's not there. Now, there is a passage in Isaiah chapter, chapter 55, I put it in there, verses 8, and, and God speaking says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But he's not saying there, like, I work in mysterious ways. And how often, let's be honest, how many of you have ever used that phrase, God works in mysterious ways? We've all used it, right? I mean, yeah, God works in mysterious ways. Now, that phrase, that statement, while we think it might be biblical, it's actually extra biblical, but it does come with a pretty incredible God story behind it. Back in 1763, there was a British poet named William Cowper. And he got to a place in his life where life stunk. 
He got to a place of brokenness. He got to a place where he didn't want to live anymore. And so history tells us that William Cowper went down to the a bridge. It was over the Thames River. And he decided to throw himself into the river and commit suicide. And as he arrived to that place, as he was about to jump in, there happened to be a person standing in that very spot. And uh, Cowper actually writes that, that he looked like he was a guard protecting that spot. So he thought, well, I can't really jump in. And so he left that spot and he went around to another spot and recognized the tide was out and the water was not deep enough for him to drown. So therefore he couldn't commit suicide there. So then he said, well, I'm going to go home. And he went home that night and he went and found some poison and he got the poison out and he began to drink the poison. He was starting to drink the poison and he just could not quite get himself to drink the poison because he thought this is not the right way to die. That's going to be painful. I don't want to do that. Now think about it. He says, that's painful. I don't want to go through that. So then he came up with a third option of committing suicide and he went and he got a rope and he tied a rope around his neck and he hung it over something. He tried to hang himself. And when he did, when he stepped off of whatever he happened to step off, the rope broke and he fell to the ground and someone in the house ran in to help him wondering if he had fallen down and gotten hurt. And so came in and saved him. He said three times he tried to commit suicide in one single night. He was not able to do it. And so figuring that there must be something more, he had heard about this other guy named John Newton, who was an Anglican pastor. And so he moved to a small little village called Olney, where John Newton was. And he actually moved into the house right next door to John Newton. And because he said, I just want to learn from this guy to try to figure out like what, what, you know, how I can get through the pain that I'm walking through. And so he began having conversations with John Newton. John Newton, by the way, you might recognize as a guy who, who wrote a song that you might have heard of. It's called Amazing Grace. Anybody ever heard that song? And so he's sitting next to John Newton having conversations and talking. And so John Newton encouraged him, hey, why don't you take all of this uh, brilliance that you have and this talent you have as a poet and actually begin writing things about God? And so what ended up happening is William Cowper under the tutelage of and the inspiration of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, together they wrote over 350 hymns of the faith together. And God took brokenness and God used it for incredible things. So where does the God works in mysterious ways come from? Well, one of the songs that William Cowper wrote was a song called Light Shining Out of Darkness. And the first line of that song, it says, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his foot in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Words that are meaningful on their own, but oh, how much more meaningful when you recognize they come from the pen and from the hand of a guy who in one night, three times, tried to end his life. And for some reason, God saved him over and over again. So what's the lesson? The lesson is this that when you feel like you're done, God's not. When you feel like there's nothing left, God has a plan. When you feel like there is no journey ahead that's worth living, that's worth walking, that's worth traveling, God indeed does work in mysterious ways because his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher than ours. And God always has something greater at the end of your story, even though you think there's nothing left to tell. And that's what we see from the story of Ruth. Obviously, Naomi and Ruth come back to this land and assume that the rest of their journey is going to be one of, of scavenging, of trying to just make a meager living to be able to eat, waiting to die 
And yet God puts her in the right place at the right time, in the right situation. Why? Because God always responds to our needs in the most unlikely ways. And I'm just telling you, he did it for Ruth, but you can go through scriptures. He did it over and over and over again in the lives of people. And from the time that the last word of scripture was written, now for 2,000 years, guess what God has been doing? He's been doing that over and over and over again. That God continues to meet our needs in the most unlikely of ways. What a story. And how can that be possible? Well, it's because God is always faithful. After this story of, of Ruth encountering Boaz and and Boaz being kind to her. And after Naomi hatched the plan to kind of get them together and to connect them. And, and after that story continued to navigate, they then soon learned from Boaz that there was someone who was actually closer. And you can see that Naomi's plans are, are, are being dashed. Like there, there's no hope. There's nothing left. There is no future here because uh, Boaz, I mean, we like Boaz. He's awesome. He's incredible. But there's somebody else. And we don't know who this guy is. We don't know anything about him, but probably they're thinking it's not as good as Boaz. And Boaz says, yeah, but there's somebody that's in line in front of me. Now that goes back, and we talked about it a few weeks ago, that Leveret law back in those days. It comes from the, the Old Testament where, where literally uh, the, the, the brother-in-law had to, to marry his, his brother's wife uh, if he died and so they could carry on the line. Now, what we don't know, what we didn't understand is, is the fact that that was not like a requirement. It was, it was an opportunity. It was an option. It was something that you could do. And it was actually called the yaboom, where, where literally you could, you could actually do it, but you could reject that party if you wanted. And so Boaz had this great idea. I'm going to go down and I'm going to find this guy. And I'm going to go down and I'm going to try to get him to like not agree to, to redeem you, to become your redeemer and to reclaim him, you as his own. I'm going to try to talk him out of it. And so the first part of chapter four, he goes down to the, the city gates and the, the, the redeemer's there and all the witnesses are there. And he says, listen, um, I want you uh, to recognize that, that Naomi is here and, and she's here and she's about to sell a piece of property that was in the line of Elimelech, our brother, and uh, you have the right to, to purchase that property if you choose to do so. And that man quickly said, okay, that sounds great, I'll do it. And you can imagine now Boaz is getting a little bit nervous because now this whole plan that he had is being thrown out the window. And so then Boaz said, oh, but, but, but wait a minute, but, but you also have to marry this woman. You have to marry this, this daughter-in-law, this, 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 this wife of, of Elimelech's son. You've got to marry her as well. And the man clearly, the other redeemer, clearly had only one thing in mind. He wanted the property. He didn't care about the woman. He wanted the property. And it even says, I can't do that because it'll mess up my inheritance to my kids. And so I don't want to go that route. And so he steps out. And he agrees with Boaz to let him, Boaz, redeem. And, and they come up with a great plan, a great, and I'm glad we don't do this today. He took off his dirty sandal and he gave it to Boaz and said, okay, it's a deal, right? It's kind of the old, you know, spit in the hand and shake kind of thing. Uh, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. But then Boaz understands, like, he now has been given this gift of being able to redeem this woman. Look what it says in verse 11 of Ruth chapter 4. It says, all the people who were at the city gates, including the elders, said, we are witnesses. And listen to these words. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. 
May you be powerful in Ephrata and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son uh, Tamar uh, bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Did you catch the phrasing there, the phraseology there? Go back to Ruth chapter one. Remember when Naomi, when Naomi told Orpah and Ruth, may God show you kindness, has said. May God show you rest, right? Like they, may God give to you that to you. And, and then Boaz in chapter two, he said it to, to, uh, to Ruth. Like may God show you kindness, may God provide. And now all the people of Israel, the people of Bethlehem, the people of the city are now looking at Boaz and, and may God Make this woman, Ruth, who's entering your house, make, make it like Rachel and Leah, which is a, that's a really big deal. If you remember the story of Rachel and Leah, make her like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful and may your name be well known. May your house become like the house of, of Perez, the son that Tamar bore to Judah. Why? Because of what God is going to do through this woman. Remember, it started with brokenness and it started with no hope. And now here we see in three different occasions out of four chapters, clear statements from different people in different settings, God is going to provide. In chapter four, verse 14, it says these words, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him, the son that, that Ruth was given by Boaz. So what's the story? The story's clear. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our pain, God always has a greater plan. And God will always take you through the midst of your brokenness. Understand, it doesn't say he will keep us from it but it absolutely says he will bring us through it. And that's the message we're given here. So quick application points here. Just three quick things. First, loss is a part of life. And I know there are people as we started, they're walking through loss right now, walking through pain right now, walking through sickness right now, walking through disease, walking through uncertainty. That's a part of life. We live in a broken world. There's going to be pain at every turn. There's going to be brokenness at every turn. There's going to be betrayal at every turn. Loss is a part of life. But the second one, in troubling times, focus on the harvest of God's faithfulness. In the midst of the most difficult moments of life, always recognize the harvest that God gives. Sometimes God gives the harvest in the past that we can look back on and we can glean power from. And sometimes the harvest is right where we are like it was for Ruth. And sometimes the harvest is just around the corner and you just gotta hang on. Always remember God's faithfulness. And the last one, always remember God's promise. Always remember God's promise. And what is God's promise? Deuteronomy 31, six. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you and he will never leave you or abandon you. No matter what you're walking through, God is faithful and his promise is absolute. Now what's the story that we find here? The story that we find here is that through a prostitute named Rahab, a son is born. And that son ends up marrying a broken, destitute woman, going through great, great loss. 
and they have a son. And then that son has a son. And that son has what would become the king of Israel, David. And David would be in the line of the Messiah who's on the way. God's deliverance might not be today, but you can absolutely take it to the bank. God will always deliver. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he wrote these words. He said, because God gave us freedom of choice, we can ignore the will of God. We can argue with it. We can disobey it. We can even fight against it. But in the end, the will of God will always prevail because the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Walking through brokenness today, you might be angry, you might be bitter, you might be fighting, you might be saying, God, why? But understand this, God will stand forever. He will never leave you alone. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that you give to us in the midst of brokenness, when we need it the most. And God, I pray that in all of our stories that we would be deliberate and clear or to make sure that we don't allow the, the pain and the suffering and the brokenness and the loss that we are walking through, that we never allow that, that tornado of challenge to keep us from seeing always that you're right there in the midst. God, help us to never lose sight of the promise and the hope that you give. God, that in the brokenness of our lives, God, that you are by our side. And so God, right now I pray for any person in this room who might be walking through brokenness, and I know there are many. Lord, I pray that today your words, not mine, your words would encourage them to know that even in the midst of the brokenness and loss today, God, that your harvest is always plentiful. God, help them to recognize, Lord, your perfect hand at work in their lives. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathered here at the front as we do every service. In a moment, we're gonna conclude our service and our team is gonna be here. We'd love, love to talk with you. And maybe you are here today and maybe the brokenness is overwhelming. Maybe the pain is severe. Maybe the loss is to the point where you feel like I can't even go on. Maybe today what you need to do is to stop fixated on, stop being fixated on, stop focusing on the pain of your situation. And maybe you need to focus on and fixate on the goodness of our God. So maybe you wanna come down today and just kneel here at this altar and say, God, you know what I'm walking through. God, I put it into your hands, I trust you. I believe in you. If you'd like, one of our team members would love to pray with you and to talk with you. Take you to scripture about like how God can, can provide in the midst of your pain. Maybe, maybe today you don't know Christ. Maybe today all of this story of brokenness is like, man, this sounds great that there's a God who loves and there's a God who provides, but man, I don't know this God. Hey, we'd love to introduce you to him today. The great thing about God is this, is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that God is always right there waiting to say, welcome home. Maybe today you wanna to meet God and our team would love to talk with you about who Christ is, what he's done, that he died and that he rose again. He paid for your sins on the cross that all that we must do is to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and that he rose again, turn from the sin of rejecting Christ and run to him and he is ready and waiting to welcome you into his family. Maybe today you wanna to talk with one of our team members about that. Maybe you wanna come for baptism or come to join our church family. Maybe you just wanna come and pray for a family member or loved one who's going through a trial. Whatever it is, when this service is over, this altar is open. 
because God's ears are always open and God's eyes are always seen. He's always right by your side, no matter what. So God, today we thank you for who you are and we thank you for what you do. We thank you for what you're going to do. So God, I pray that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that you bring them to this altar in a moment. God, if there's someone walking through loss today, God, I pray that you bring them to this altar, that they would put their trial into your hands. God, if there's someone here today who who has a loved one, a friend, a family member who is walking through a great trial, God, use them as a prayer warrior to, uh, Lord, to, to help that person see who God is in the midst of a difficult time. God, I pray that today you would do what only you can do. And God, for that, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar's open. Our team is here. As you leave today, please feel free to come down and talk with one of our team members, to pray with them, maybe to pray alone. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for worshiping with us today here at Thomas Road. If you pray to receive Christ, then we'd really like to hear from you. If you'd like to know more about what it means to be a Christ follower, then contact us today. You know, there's no better time than right now during this Christmas season to receive God's gift to you, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. Our mission here at Thomas Road is to develop Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to join us in fulfilling that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link there on your screen and make a contribution to us. Help us help others as we extend the truth of God's love and His life-changing message. God bless you and Merry Christmas.